Dr. Payne, did you have a crush from the 1990s? I definitely did. Who? Yes, did what? you? Yeah, of course. Do- <laughs> Dr. Edwards? I didn't actually. I know I we mean, were talking about this a minute ago. Like mean, a celebrity a, Like a celebrity crush. crush. No, I know what you're saying. Yeah, no, I didn't. Why not? I don't know. Did I just you grow up in I'm Australia? Did you have celebrities? <laughs> they we didn't have celebrities, celebrities there. Oh my goodness. We had the royal family. Oh. oh. And they're not really crush worthy, so. No, well. Prince yeah. William was not, he was like a kid. Yeah, that's true. Up, no, I so that would have been I wrong. You. I hear you. Yeah, that's true. Dr. Who, Payne, who was, who was the celebrity crush? Well, I have, I have two. Yeah. Chris Cornell. R.I.P. Oh. I love Chris Cornell forever. And Dave Grohl forever. Oh, you were. It was, it's a regional it was like a rock, rock thing. It was a rock thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like t- what about, what about okay. Eddie, Eddie Vedder, though? Well, I like him the older I get. I have a crush but when on you're, Eddie Yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, everybody does, right? How about you? your crush? Oh, uh, 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 from the 90s? Yeah. <laughs> Which year? Um, <laughs> I will say Mini Driver from Goodwill Hunting, That's particularly sweet. in that movie. Especially because knowing your wife, I, you had a type. Oh. Welcome, welcome, good students. This is the I Need to Know More podcast. Yes. Our topic this week, the ancestors. We have brought Dr. Sarita Edwards here into the podcasting studio so she can follow up on her lecture with some deeper dive stuff and we can read the Bible together and we can do all kinds of things. Dr. Edwards. Welcome. Yes. Welcome. Yeah, it's wonderful to be here. Yeah. Yay. How's life? Yeah, doing well. Um, enjoying uh, daily life with my chickens. chickens? <laughs> I was telling about you, you guys about this. What before. are you doing with chickens? I have five chickens. I Why live are in the suburbs, that? but I have five chickens. Is that is that like a fun thing to have? I thought it was really silly, and then I got chickens, and I love them. Really? I'm kind of obsessed. Do really? you feel any connection to? Because we're your lecture was about the ancestors, so it's yes. it's very much like an agricultural <laughs> setting. Do you feel any connection to? Bible people when you're out there taking care of your chickens? You know, I have a I have a vine as well, a grapevine. Oh, so I guess okay. like that's like super oh, new testament. You need so a fig I... tree, your own vine and fig tree. <laughs> yeah, your if own I once I get the fig tree, I think I'm set. Get out there. Does and curse the chicken it. appear in the Bible? I'm actually gonna do a yes, quick word yes, search right now. Like the now. mother hen. I don't Jesus talks yes. about that's true. The love of That's God true. like a mother hen. The love of God like a mother chicks. hen. But I think the word chicken itself does not oh, appear well. in English and Bibles. But the mother hen thing is a, a chicken. A roo- you know, that's a chicken. Right. That's what it is. And the rooster crows yeah. three times. Okay. What not. Okay. Now we're getting there. <laughs> now we're getting somewhere with this. Um, we want to, I mean, maybe first of all, Dr. Edwards, could we just, your lecture was about the ancestors and you had an angle on that. I want to come to the angle. But just so our students are like the ancestors. Why are we using this weird word? Like. These these people we're talking about in Genesis 12 through 50 are the ancestors of Israel. What becomes Israel? Like, could we just start to review, maybe patch together among the three of us? Like, who are these ancestors? Sometimes they're called the matriarchs and the patriarchs. Yes. Like, who are these people? Yeah. And so we can maybe just all patch together. Yeah. So starting in, in my lecture, I talked a little bit more about the initial ancestors. Mm-hmm. So the initial patriarch and matriarch, Abraham mm-hmm. and his wife, Sarah. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, of course, we have... I'll let everyone else fill it in. <laughs> Isaac and Rebecca. Isaac and Rebecca. So Isaac is their son and they go and find Rebecca from the family group, which is kind of weird. They do the family mm-hmm. marriages. It's mm-hmm. cousin marriages. Yeah. It's, it is a little bit like the royal family. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> going back to the royals. Um, yeah. Yep. And and then so the, the son that we follow from Isaac and Rebecca is Jacob. Notice that there are chosen family members. Mm-hmm. I just theologically, Dr. Edwards, just inserting like a quick theological spiritual point. The fact that God is like choosing some of the sons to kind of like 
bless them or favor them. I don't even know if favor is the right words because sometimes God has different plans for different people. Like, what do you make of that? Like, is that, do you find that spiritual theme comforting? Is it offensive that God would pick people? Like, how do you think about that? Well, I think in, in the case of some of these narratives, it's actually the people themselves that are kind of discerning, kind of even through deception, like which son mm. gets to be the heir. And so it's not so much in this particular case God choosing, but kind of just the humanity and rivalry of the different brothers. Mm. So it's, it's very human. And so as we talk about the book of Genesis, that's kind of this tension that we hold. Mm -hmm. This is like God's in charge with very flawed humans. Right. Mm. And so there's a lot of, and we're going to talk about later about in other podcasts about violence. And there's all these ethical dilemmas that come up because of this. No, that balance that you talked about, that is that to me is exactly the spiritual balance of these ancestral stories is that who's doing the action? Is it people or is it God? And it's kind of like everyone's doing it. But if God is doing it, how are the people doing it? And if the people are doing it, how is God doing it? Like that's a very, that's a very mixed, it's a very ambiguous picture in some ways, I think. Yeah, no, it absolutely is. I think it's helpful for understanding like that the human quality, I appreciate that you brought that up because to me that's helpful for understanding some of the big time weird family drama that goes on. Like, you know, for the students who you, some of you may have read these stories a, a million times, but I'm guessing a lot of them, this is the first time you've read this and it is weird. There are yeah. some weird family yeah. relationships, yeah. things that, that most people don't practice in our particular corner of the yeah. world. Um, so I, that's helpful because it's not just weird. It's like really dysfunctional in some cases. But even in that dysfunctionality though, and some of it, I mean, there are like very just real, normal, recognizable human moments too. Yeah. Falling in love, anger you know, siblings splitting apart. Yeah. Fear. Fe like that's, yeah. that's what happens. Well, I think it's really relatable. Mm. So we're in the 21st century and we're reading this text that was written a long time ago. And if it was all perfect and everyone, if all the humans in the narrative were just making amazing decisions and mm. they live these exemplar moral lives, I personally, I just couldn't relate to that. Mm. But instead we see people who make mistakes, they lie, they steal, mm. they kill. Like, isn't it sad? But I can relate to the fact that they're incredibly human mm -hmm. and they're not perfect. Mm -hmm. Is there a story, a particular story that stands out to you as, as one that just really like hit you at any point in time in your life, but maybe just, just preparing for this lecture and this podcast? Yeah, absolutely. And I think one of the stories in Genesis, as we talk about the book of Genesis in particular, is the narrative of Hagar. And there's just something really confusing about that story. Like here's this young woman. So the story of Hagar is in Genesis 16. And then we she kind of comes again into the story in Genesis 21. Mm. And there's something like compelling about this young woman who's maybe like forced to sleep with her owner. And she has an owner. Mm -hmm. Is she a slave? Is she a servant? Um and yet she has this amazing encounter with God. Mm -hmm. mm. I, I think I think after we review who the rest of these ancestors are, we should actually read that text. Do you yeah, think? Like that we, sounds should, great. we should read it and we should talk about it because that's a good one. But we, we interrupted you and we interrupted the group flow here to just go off to this tangent, but we should finish. Like, who are these ancestors? Mm -hmm. Like we can't get away from this yep. week without knowing who these people are. So Abraham and Sarah, Isaac and Rebecca. Yep. Who's the next generation then? Jacob and Rachel and Leah and company. Jacob and Rachel and Leah. Folks. <laughs> I know. Speaking of dysfunction. Yes, yes. Speaking of lies. 
and and then Joseph, and then Joseph. So, I'm a musical theater person, so I like. I, I feel like we could talk about Joseph the whole oh, time, but I know we're the, not gonna Joseph do that. and the Technicolor Dreamcoat. <laughs> yes, I love that musical. Doctor Payne is into musical theater. Yep, I can bring it up. That. It comes up all, all the, the time. time. <laughs> it comes up when it doesn't need to come <laughs> that's up. That's for you, dorks. Yep, <laughs> I love y'all. Okay. Um, but but that's but the but the kids though that Jacob and Rachel and Leah and the other two women have become the tribes of Israel. Mm-hmm. The, tw- the so-called twelve tribes. It's not all of the twelve tribes, but it's a complicated thing because you have other kids that come in here and get grafted in. But whatever the case, the kind of the core of that, at least like let's say 10 of them, come from this four-part pairing, five-part pairing family crew. Um, and these are the these are the people that we usually talk about as ancestors. And I don't know, I, it seems important to me, Dr. Edwards and Dr. Payne, you can weigh in on this. Like, it seems important that we call them ancestors, not like by a traditional t- title, which is the patriarchs, because it's not just the patriarchs, right? It's also the women. Like they play every, they play the role in this drama too that the men play. Like they're all together, right? Is that, do you think that's fair? I, I actually really appreciate that title because it, it includes the women and also includes, you know, Dr. Edwards, you brought this up before. There are people who are like the official family members and then unofficial. Some mm. of them are enslaved. Some of them, you know, there there's just, I was actually in my mind, I was thinking about what if the this were like a modern, um, like sitcom, you know, you tr- people try and make things sort of funny, but I'm like, how would you even film this? There's just a huge network of people right. and they're all interacting in different ways. So I think ancestors right. is a better term. What do you think, Dr. Edwards? Yeah, well, I, I obviously lectured on, yeah. <laughs> on <Yeah>. this. <laughs> I have never actually heard it called ancestors. I've always heard patriarchs. Right. And so whenever I talk about it or preach on it, I always mention the women, the matriarchs. Mm. But I do think ancestors kind of covers the broader sense, like you're saying, um, including people that weren't even a part of the family unit, Mm. but just played a major role. Mm -hmm. Mm. Well, and there's this like, and then you have these, these weird one-off stories, like in Genesis 38, not a story we'll read or discuss right now, but just like you have the story of Judah and Tamar. So students, if you did the reading, like you're going to, that's a weird one. Yeah. Like what, what, wait, what? But like Tamar, she's one of the ancestors too. And in fact, her lineage actually becomes very important an important one later in the bible so actually she's an ancestor it's not even just the wives the matriarchs of the patriarchs it's also tamar like tamar is an ancestor Mm -hmm. so i love that it's there's a big this is a big family remember her she comes up way later yeah yeah i love it dr edwards you in your lecture you had mentioned the fact that i mean one angle that you took a major one from your lecture was that you know one one impression we could get is that maybe god just chose like you know one person like abraham and God just loves Abraham and God loves the Hebrews and the Israelites. And that's just kind of it. You were really keen, though, to point out that you didn't think that was the case and to show examples of God working outside of even very official situations. I wonder before we get into a really, a really specific and even painful story about that of Hagar, how like, why do you care about that? Like, why, why, why was why is that point important to you? Yeah, I think it's something I've always noticed about God. We try and keep God in a very clean box And I think the Israelites tried to do that as well. Like God loves us. God is for us. The covenant is for us. And yet the Bible is just filled with these tiny little narratives of people like Hagar, who's Egyptian, Melchizedek, who is just the priest of the most high God. We don't even know who that person is. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. He just comes comes out of nowhere. He leaves. I mean, and then you've got God speaking directly to the kings of the enemy of Israel. Mm. Uh, so King Nebuchadnezzar, right, has this encounter with God and is judged by God and is forgiven by God. And I am 
also in that category. I'm on the outside. And so maybe as a human being, I really love that mm. there's stories of people who are not Israelite, mm. who are, if you talk, use the New Testament term, who are Gentile, because mm-hmm. I'm a Gentile. Mm. Right. Mm. Well, that's isn't that part of the explosive promise God makes to Abraham that he'll be a blessing to all the earth, like he, or, like everyone. So he can't be a blessing to the entire earth um, that all the families, that in you all families of the earth shall be called blessed if it's just about him and one family and one people group. Like that promise literally cannot be true. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I love that, that the promise of God to love all people is embedded in right in the beginning mm-hmm. in Genesis. Mm-hmm. Okay, should we should should we read and talk about an actual passage here? I think we should. The one that you the one that you've discussed. We want to read out of our class Bible, the NRSV translation, and um, so if you're following along with us, students, um, that is what we're reading out of. There are a lot of good translations out there. Not saying the NRSV is the only one. It's not, (laughs) but it's the one we're using. Okay, for now. So, hang in there with that. And um, yeah, how should we read this? Don't I think we? we should do it. Well, I think we should do it verse by verse. Should we oh. just go in a circle? Maybe. Oh yeah, let's all read of us can 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 sing or can sing. Can sing. Do can you want sing. us to sing? <laughs> let's sing it. Let's sing it. What if we actually tried to sing it? That would be funny. Okay, we're not going to do that. Nope. Yeah. Um, and then, are we doing the whole chapter? Or are we doing? Let's read the whole chapter. Okay. All let's, right. Let's read it and then let's just talk about it, like open ended. Like, what do we see? What happens? What doesn't happen? What's ambiguous? What's clear? Yeah, that sounds great. That sounds great. Is that cool? Yeah, yeah. Dr. Good. Edwards, kick it off. Yeah, so chapter by, uh, verse by verse. verse okay. One verse per person. So this is Genesis 16, right at the beginning, verse 1. Now Sarai, Abram's wife, bore him no children. She had an Egyptian slave girl whose name was Hagar. And Sarai said to Abraham, You see that the Lord has prevented me from bearing children. Go into my slave girl. It may be that I shall obtain children by her. And Abram listened to the voice of Sarai. So after Abram had lived 10 years in the land of Canaan, Sarai, Abram's wife, took Hagar, the Egyptian, her slave girl, and gave her to her husband, Abram, as a wife. He went into Hagar and she conceived. And when she saw that she had conceived, she looked with contempt on her mistress. Then Sarai said to Abram, May the wrong done to me be on you. I gave my slave girl to your embrace. And when she saw that she had conceived... She looked on me with contempt. May the Lord judge between you and me. But Abram said to Sarai, Your slave girl is in your power. Do to her as you please. Then Sarai dealt harshly with her, and she ran away from her. The angel of the Lord found her by a spring of water in the wilderness, the spring on the way to Shur. And he said, Hagar, slave girl of Sarai, where have you come from and where are you going? She said, I am running away from my mistress, Sarai. The angel of the Lord said to her, return to your mistress and submit to her. The angel of the Lord also said to her, I will so greatly multiply your offspring that they cannot be counted for multitude. And the angel of the Lord said to her, now you have conceived and shall bear a son. You shall call him Ishmael, for the Lord has given heed to your affliction. He shall be a wild ass of a man with his hand against everyone and everyone's hand against him. And he shall live at odds with all his kin. So she named the Lord who spoke to her. You are El Roy. For she said, 
Have I really seen God and remained alive after seeing him? Therefore, the well was called Bir Lahai Roy. It lies between Kadesh and Bered. Hagar bore Abraham a son, and Abram named his son, whom Hagar bore, Ishmael. Abram was 86 years old when Hagar bore him Ishmael. Wow. Woo! <laughs> what a drama. There's so much there. <laughs> what do the two of you make of this opening drama? Just that, I mean, just this stuff in that first paragraph between verses one through six. It's like, what a roller coaster. Like, like Sarah's saying, I'm not having kids, therefore take this slave girl. And then he does and she gets pregnant. And then, and then the slave girl is like, cont- has contempt on Sarai. Then Sarai is angry at Abram. How, like, how would you untangle this like web of emotions and what's happening here. Do you want to start with that? Dr. Yeah, no, absolutely. I have always read this story and I've always found the person of Hagar really appealing. Mm. Like appealing. Yeah. Yeah. I know. I know because as I read more, I have changed my mind. Um, but Hagar, like she's, you know, obviously given to her to Abram to sleep with and like she's a concubine and her her child is going to be given to Sarah like she won't even be able to raise the kid and so I've seen her as kind of this innocent victim really Mm -hmm. but as I've read the story more and more you get a different you see the humanity of Hagar like as soon as she got pregnant she started despising, having contempt towards Sarah. And you can just see how that would play out. Mm. Um, just how women I can be, and I'm a woman, can I can speak to that, of just like, I'm pregnant, you're not. And her kind of rising in status in the community and Sarah getting upset about it. It's just very, there's a lot of tension and angst, I think. Wow. wow. Oh, that is so, okay. This is why the Bible is so cool and interesting because it's funny. I uh, also have um, had a character who was kind of my favorite for a long time and then it reversed for me. So for a long time, I was really um, enamored with Sarah because she's a woman who experiences infertility. I also have been a woman who has experienced infertility. And so I felt like a kinship to someone who was, longing for something. Um, I think that now I see things differently. Yeah. I, I think that, um, one of the things I was struck by when we were reading this was how difficult and precarious life was if you were anyone in the ancient world, but especially a woman who's, I mean, in, in Brian or Dr. Doke, you, you, I'd love to hear your thoughts on this, but as I understand it, like a woman's primary source of power and economic status would be their ability to produce a child. And so I, I think about both of these women as, oh my gosh, <laughs> you know, like they're, they're just on the edge, both of them. And, um, how, how dangerous and how like critical it is to actually like produce. Oh, I okay. So one thing I wanted to back up and say is that just about this plot that they have, yeah. that they'll have a kid this way when they're not having a kid the way that they thought they should or would initially. I, one thing that kind of made a splash in the middle of the 20th century was when archaeologists discovered some kind of like ancient legal documents on old clay tablets from a place called Nuzi, 
um, which is in was in ancient Mesopotamia. It'd be like modern day Iraq, Syria, kind of mm-hmm. like up in that area. And one thing that the reason that these made a splash is not because they mentioned the ancestors or Abraham or Sarah, but they mentioned people that sometimes seem to be. To, at least to scholars at that time, to be in like parallel legal situations. And one of those parallel-ish legal situations was this idea like, what if you need an heir to pass down your stuff to, mm-hmm. namely a male heir, right? right? This is pretty much like a world in which ownership and property and stuff like that works through men. And so, um, you know, so yeah, so like the thing you said, it's true. Like women, childbearing, like this is very primal. It's obviously biology there. Like there's just like a, a, a system around this, right? But in these documents, one thing that we found was that it was apparently in just the ancient world of this place generally. Let's not even get so specific, but just like that if you didn't have a natural heir, you could adopt one or you could even have one through another woman potentially. Like surrogacy. Like surrogacy, right. What? So maybe they're trying to work it out according to the legal customs of their time, which to me doesn't solve the fact that they're not doing what God asked but it's like okay maybe they weren't just like ha god he's so dumb he doesn't know let's just do this on our own i mean i've heard that interpretation of this passage i don't think that's what's going on no i I totally i totally agree i think as you look at sarah i've always thought of her as like disobeying god Mm because god had spoken to her husband you're gonna have a kid i have had actually i've moved back and forth with sympathy with both sarah (laughs) and hagar but with sarah i think it's it, it is culturally a normal thing it is, it is within um, Mesopotamian culture and understanding this is a viable way to have an heir. Mm-hmm. And so I wonder, one of the possibilities is Sarah is just thinking logically, mm-hmm. God has promised a kid. We thought it was going to come through me, but apparently that's not true. It's been more than 10 years. Mm-hmm. Maybe we're doing this wrong. There's got to be another way. And so I don't know if it's as I mean, there's all these questions, but I'm not sure if it's disobedience. It could also just be, I'm being logical. Mm-hmm. This is viable. And maybe that's why Abram's like, yep, okay, let's do this. I think that's the funny thing about the Bible is that they don't tell us very often about people's like inner life or their motivations. Right. You know, why they, I mean, it's unusual for someone to, because, you know, we like psychology now, but right. it wasn't <laughs> a thing in the ancient world. But one of... I, this whole discussion reminds me of this scholar. Um, her name is Dolores Williams, who writes about, uh, she's a woman, a scholar who writes about Sarah and Hagar and their relationship. And I, it's funny this, this time, this last time when we were reading through um, this passage, I thought I, I was sort of rooting for her when she went Hagar, when she was despising her, her slaveholder. Um, and that was like the first time. It, it's funny how, you know, when you read a scripture or like a text your whole life um, and then you kind of come to it with new eyes. But one of the things that I thought was fascinating about that, just like listening to you all talk, is how um, how their family, the, the scripture doesn't seem to weigh in on that un- or does it? Like, what about that? interaction that she has with God like what does that tell us about you know it this kind of I don't know if we want to say functional dysfunctional family yeah I mean let's (laughs) let's move to that part of the passage uh, knowing that we have not exhausted the complex emotions in those first six verses by any means but like what do we make of the way then that God that God treats her that this angel this messenger of the Lord finds her and says you know where have you come from and where are you going like is this is this gentle treatment? Is this kind of like a harsh sort of love? Is this good? Like what 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 do you make, Doctor Edwards, of the way that God then treats Hagar after she leaves? 
Yeah, well, we have like Sarah kind of in verse 6 mistreating Mm. Hagar and so she runs away. Um, And it's interesting that she heads back down to Egypt her hometown like mm. like her home mm. area like she goes through the desert of Shur and if you look in on the map where that is she's heading back home mm-hmm. even though she hasn't been there for ages i think it's compassionate mm. Mm. i i just do she's by a spring so she's a woman by the well mm-hmm. and the angel of the lord finds her and there's this interesting parallel asking questions mm-hmm. just like um when we talk about um, Adam and Eve, God asking questions about Adam and Eve. And so there's a parallel mm-hmm. as we see Eve and mm. Sarah. There's parallels in these texts. I think it's compassionate. Speaking of parallels, it struck me that this little story could also be read as a kind of a, this is a little bit of a plot spoiler, so warning, but a little bit of a micro narrative of the Exodus story to come, right? Mm, like mm-hmm. people have a problem, they go down to Egypt and they multiply down there, which is what, you know, the angel yes. says in verse 10, I will greatly multiply your offspring. So that's a parallel promise, not only to what God promised Abraham and Sarah, the multiplicity, the multiply thing, but the idea that you go to Egypt and that, but then God calls you back out of Egypt. Yeah. Right. It's well, like a, have, that's an Exodus story in a sense. right? Yeah. You have obviously you're referring to like uh, Joseph going down. Right. But then you have Jesus as well. Jesus also goes down to goes Egypt. Down right? to Egypt. Egypt shows up a lot. Right. So the Bible keeps telling these stories like this. We, we might call this typologies. Like there's a certain kind of like story pattern that has characters inserted into it. And it's it's great to notice that actually Hagar is one of these characters that becomes a typology of Israel. And in fact, of Jesus in that sense. I've got kind of a burning question. Um, about this passage for either of you. Um, you know how there are like certain kind of ways of reading scripture that you hear pastors, you know, preach on again yeah. and again and again. I've heard this one thing a few times. Mm-hmm. Now, I'm not a Bible scholar, so I want to know from you all, which is this Elroy um, word, this name for God mm-hmm. that um, Hagar gives to God, that this is the only time when a human gets to name god is that true i've heard that in a sermon yeah so 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 l l roy there you just read it that way in english but the like god l o e in hebrew like um in hebrew the word means to see and so the god who sees me that little e at the end is like the the, the first person thing I, I actually don't know if that's true or not. People do come up it with... It sounds good. It sounds good. It, it might actually be true. I would want to really just like... You caught me off guard with that one. It oh, might, no. It sorry. might actually be true. Um, but I will say that I think it's a pretty stunning moment um, when she actually just names God and, and the place gets named after it. And, you know, she's saying... have a, I mean, even the idea of seeing God at all yeah. is not a common thing. Like, not many people get to see God... Um, at all so i mean it's it's just special no matter what and and i think the fact that she's a woman as well is Mm, huge mm -hmm. so here is this woman she's not hebrew she's an egyptian woman social culturally at the the bottom level Mm -hmm. and she has this theological revelation about god Mm -hmm. and it's recorded forever in scripture yep and and i i mentioned a little bit she's a woman at the well and this appears like later on we have the woman at the well in, in the New Testament, mm-hmm. who is also like Samaritan, also being discarded by her husband. Like there's all these parallels. Oh, that one. Yeah. Yep. And she has a revelation yep. that, that Jesus is the Messiah. And so you see, I mean, what stands out to me is here's a woman who has this amazing encounter with God. Mm-hmm. 
and she sees something about God, literally sees something about God. Um, God sees her and she sees God. Mm-hmm. That's that's crazy to me. This makes me think of a modern meme type thing where it basic, you, you know, the thing now is to like post something on social media and then you say, I feel seen. Yep. Oh yeah, <laughs> and and this kind of is like a really radical version of that, right? right. Like I'm seen by God. Do, I, no, totally. I mean, do you think it's? Does it sound too like inspirational, talky, or something to say from a passage like this and from a story like this spiritually as like at least one of many many takeaways one could have that you know at our moment of greatest vulnerability or even of mistreatment by someone else of even like near to death, right? That in fact, that could be the exact moment in which God appears to us. And and that like maybe those moments are pre-made in fact for God to appear to us. Like is, is that, do you think that's a fair thing to say based on this story? I think it, it connects with my own story and my own experience with God. Mm-hmm. I think when I, I mean, here's a, a young woman, we're reading a story, but if you really think about where she is, mm-hmm. she's in the middle of a wilderness by herself and she's pregnant. Mm-hmm. Um, and just all the emotions and the sadness and the frustration. And that's when she has this incredible encounter with God. And it doesn't just happen once. It happens again in her life. I was just looking for that story. Yeah. Where is that later? Like Genesis in chapter, 21. Chapter 21. There's a parallel story right. where she again, she's actually kicked out of the household at that point. After they have the two kids, Ishmael and yeah. Isaac, they're like mm-hmm. playing with each other. And Sarah's like, nope. Ishmael nope. is mocking Isaac because he's a little bit older. And Sarah is angry and she kicks them out of the household and they're back in the desert and God again appears to them through the angel. Mm-hmm. Um, but in my own life, just going back to like real, God has, God has met me when I have been at my lowest for sure. Absolutely. I think that's a beautiful way to end our, our time together reflecting on who God chooses and when and where. Dr. Edwards, thank you so much for coming in and talking with us about this material. It's so important. Thank you. Yeah, absolutely. Wonderful. Mm-hmm.